1: We are back in John chapter 2 as we take a look at Jesus, our new temple. Join us for the significance of Jesus as our new temple, next on today's program. It's an amazing story. Jesus comes in and cleans house. Yeah, the the milk, toast, meek, and mild guy that we want to keep milk, toast, meek, and mild, he has a cord, a whip of cords, and he cleans house, literally, the temple. So what does this mean? What is the significance of it all? That's what we're going to find out today and tomorrow in our message called Jesus, the New Temple. With today's broadcast of Truth For Today, from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, here's Pastor Phil Howard.
2: Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The context of what's going on is Jews, when they came up for Passover from the inhabited world around the Mediterranean, they didn't make that journey bringing sheep and sacrifices with them. They waited till they got to Jerusalem and they would purchase the animals there. Besides that, they had to pay a temple tax. They paid like a temple redemption. Well, they would bring this various coinage from all over the uh, Mediterranean world. They would exchange that, change it, and probably they believe in the Gentiles' court. They made it uh, bins for uh, sheep, goats, all of this. Uh, you know, And so you're running, uh, you've got livestock there. And all of this, and so when you came up to the temple site, you'd hear all this noise. You could hear the sheep, you can hear the cattle, uh, you can hear the bargaining going on over money and exchange rates. I mean, it was a mercenary, loud, uh, raucous group. And Christ takes his authority and something is strange when he's able to do what he did. Can you imagine driving a man away from his money and him not beating you up? Why didn't all the money changers jump in there and beat Christ up? Some kind of authority. He just cleaned house. Nobody made a step to stop him. It's like when they came to arrest him in the garden. And they said, we've come to arrest you. Who are you? I am. And the soldiers fall back. You see, his authority, some way exerted that. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? I mean, it's like, Blasphemy, sacrilege to infer. and a matter of fact, they were building on this building under Herod up to 63 A.D. And what happened in 70 A.D.? Everything they worked 46 years on was plowed under by the armies of Titus. It's a terrible thing that everything you poured your life into is ready to be plowed under. And they said, it took second 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. I need to take you to an obscure passage before this even in chapter 1. In the last verse of chapter 1, an obscure passage that I think most of my life about what in the world is he talking about. Verse 51. And he said to him, talking to Nathaniel, he'd seen Nathaniel under the fig tree, which was too far for the natural eye. So Nathaniel picked up, oh, oh something supernatural must be going on that he could see me that far down the road. So then he said to Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, And the angels of a God ascending and descending. And if you're reading Genesis 28, you would say, on the ladder of Jacob. Because where this verse is used, it's used when Jacob is fleeing and he's gone to the house of Laban to get away from Esau. He has a prayer meeting, and while he's dreaming, he sees this ladder from earth to heaven. An angel's going up and down, up and down. And before he leaves the place, he names it Beth-El. I've been at the house of God and I didn't even know it, he said. I was here and didn't discern that God was in this place. And now he's telling Nathaniel, Nathaniel. I'm here among you, and I'm one that would replace Jacob's ladder. I'm going to be the connection of heaven to the earth. And as Jacob saw angels descending and ascending and showing the gate of heaven, I, here Nathanael, I, the Son of God, I am the one. The Son of Man is the ladder. I am the way you connect earth with heaven. Then he comes over to chapter 2 and he says, after he cleanses the temple, I am the temple of God. That is blasphemy to a Jew, sacrilegious. But what is he saying? Let me give you a little history. Back in Exodus 40, uh, Moses had a wrestling match with whether God would stay with his people, because God got fed up with them and their sin. And he said, Moses, I want to kill the nation. I'll work with you, but I want to kill the people. Moses talked him out of it. Then he said, I'll go ahead of you, Moses, and lead you that way. Moses said, no deal, no deal. you got to go with us. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. Well, God relents once again, And he reveals the tabernacle, and in chapter 40 of Exodus, God says, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to fill the Holy of Holies with my presence, and the tabernacle will be the place where my presence will live. Heaven is going to visit earth in this... Ugly looking badger skin. Some believe it was porpoise hides. We're not sure what the tabernacle curtains were made of. Either badger skins or porpoise skins. And he made that, but inside was the glory, the presence of God. And when God told them, move the tent, they moved. And the fire and the cloud. So God said, I'll live among my people and the tabernacle will be the center. I'll hang out above the mercy seat. Coming along in First Kings 8, David had a great desire. After they moved into the land, they put away the tabernacle. They still had the Ark of the Covenant, but the tabernacle folded it up. They weren't moving around anymore. And David got really uh, desirous. Why is it the God of Israel and the Ark of the Covenant is kept out in different fields. Sometimes the Philistines get it. Sometimes it's like in a barn. This represented the kind of presence of God. We can do better than this. And so he tells God, I want to build you a house. God says, David, you're too bloody a man. I fought wars through you. I'll build houses through Solomon. Somebody's got to fight the enemy. And many times they never get to build the house. And David was uh, not given that privilege. But David started giving of his resources. And started collecting the goods needed to build it. And he knows Solomon, his son, gets the privilege. Solomon, the day they build this temple and dedicate it to the Lord, 1 Kings said, The glory of God so filled the temple that the priests couldn't move on the premises. They couldn't walk around. The glory cloud was so thick and powerful that the high priest and the priesthood were frozen in their tracks. They couldn't move. The presence of God was made so real and evident on that day. You come to Isaiah 66, he said to Israel, who loved temple. They want a temple. They wanted Jerusalem. Our temple. He said, who were you to ever think you could build a house big enough to contain me? For the highest heavens can't contain me. I'm bigger than any house you can build. I appreciate your thoughtfulness, Solomon, but I'm bigger than anything you can build. Well, something tragic happens to the nation. The nation begins to fall in love with their neighbors, especially their gods. In Ezekiel 8 through 11, he describes a tragic story. He has Ezekiel caught up when he's down there by uh, the river Chabar in in Babylon. He catches him up in the spirit, and he takes him to investigate the temple in Jerusalem. And when he gets there, the first thing he sees in chapter 8 is an idol that God calls jealousy. You've taken the place that was set apart for me, the place where my glory wanted to be manifested, and you're provoking me at my very house. You've got an idol named Jealousy that's provoking me. And Ezekiel describes sequentially the removal of the Shekinah from the temple. From the Holy of Holies, it moves to the outer court. Then it moves to the outer gate. And then it goes to the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And by the time it gets to chapter 11, the Shekinah, the divine presence, ascends into the heavens. So God is saying, Israel, your place of worship, I've left. You'll still go on as usual, but my presence will no longer be there. For you've chosen other gods. You're doing abominable things. I'll see that your temple lies in waste. And when you rebuild it, you can rebuild it, but you can't make me house it. I'll leave you an empty temple without the divine presence. And so Babylon comes, ransacks all the gold and all the precious sacred ware that was there. Everything is scattered. And then God sends Zerubbabel and Joshua to go back and rebuild it. And he raises up the prophet Zechariah and Haggai to encourage the people, rebuild what's been wasted. And in Haggai, the people weep when they've rebuilt it and see that its glory has been diminished. It is such a ragtag building compared to Solomon's temple. And they wept. So the glory has left Israel. The divine presence has left. But John begins his gospel and he uses a word used of the tabernacle in 114. For the word was made flesh and tinted out among us. The word will come and hang out in a tent and the tent will be his body. And he said, the glory that was in the tent back in the wilderness is now in me, and I'm full of glory and grace and truth. Uh, The glory of God is now centered in a person, not in a building, not in Jerusalem, not in an Old Testament temple. It's now centered in Yeshua the Messiah. Then he comes over here to chapter 2, and he sets us up. He first of all says... The old wine of the old dispensation has run out. And I've come to bring you the new wine of myself. The change agent has come. Then he begins to say, I also have come, I'm a temple cleanser. You're a, you've are you got a form of godliness, but you're devoid of God's power. You look religious, you, you've got all the outworkings, you still got a priesthood, you're still offering lambs, you there's one thing missing. God. You draw nigh to him with lips, but your heart's far from him. And I'm going to do you people like you've done me. Isaiah said it. You talk to me with lips, but your hearts are wicked. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to withdraw my presence. I'm out of here. And. It, Poor Judaism for 2,000 years has staggered through the centuries like a drunk man on a London foggy night. They've staggered through history. No high priest, no priesthood, no sacrifice, no temple. 2,000 years, the Jewish people have no place to find the presence of God. Where has it escaped? Jesus said, the temple is ended no more you've turned it into a house of merchandise you play in church as it were you're having playhouse religion and i'm a thousand miles from the place then he tells them i am the temple of god and you can destroy this temple this temple will have to be crucified and this temple will rise again for i am going to become the meeting place Of a heaven on earth. If you want to meet God on this earth, you've got to come to Jesus. He's the meeting place. This is where heaven touches the earth. In Christ. The temple is my body. Now, I want you to follow me. Do you know how to flip pages in a Bible? It's not real hard. You ready? Start flipping. Ephesians. you got to follow this in the Bible. Ephesians. It's over here to the right. We loan your Bible. Please don't steal it. It's a terrible thing to steal while you're at church. Do it when you get home. Uh, look at Ephesians 2, 219. I'm going to show you his temple building, what his program looks like. Where is the temple of God? He said he was the temple. So now he's telling Gentiles that God has included them in salvation. Listen to verse 19. So then you, you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you get it? Gentiles who had had no covenants, no prophets... No promises for centuries are now being told. When Messiah came, He's worked out a way to get you in His family. I'm in the Messianic family, friend. I'm in the family, the household of Messiah. It ought to make you shout if you knew what I was saying. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself Being the cornerstone. See, when they laid that cornerstone, the first stone, all the lines to build that building were taken off. If you had a a surveyor, he'd get that stone in place. And then you mark out all your lines to keep it square. Christ says, I am the cornerstone. I set the perimeters and the lines of who will be in this temple. I am the focal point. And so he says, you know I am the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Let me tell you about this word joined together. Hear me well. When they built the temple, when Solomon's temple was built, there was never a hammer allowed on the site. And you know what they did to keep the stones together, especially as they rebuilt it? They poured molten lead in between the stones as they rebuilt Herod's temple. There was no hammering on the temple. Because they would, at the quarry, the architect would send, carve and engrave, they would dig into that stone so that when they brought it together on the site, it would just clip together. They would just fit together. And if there was any giveaway, they could pour molten lead. But you didn't hammer. You see, while it was in the quarry, the architect had described what it would take when they were digging it out. This is the way to hew the stone. I want you to know when God found you in your sin, the master architect and cornerstone had already figured out where you would fit. And when you came into the body of Christ, you fit because he designed you from the foundation of the world to fit in the body of Christ. I fit because the architect put made me fit. I belong to the cornerstone. And so do you if you know him. He has no warts in the body. Just living members. You fit. He added you at the right time in history. He gave you the right spiritual gift. He put you in the right local church. He said, you fit where I put you in this building. I dug you out. I paid for the stone at the cross. But the Spirit did the chiseling at the quarry. And He put you in the body. And you fit. Grow up. You're being joined together And present tense, you're continually growing into a what? Holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Some think this picture of the church is the church is seen in heaven. But notice, I'm taking you who are aliens and strangers. I dug you out of the quarry of sin. I fit you in and you become my new temple. Where God hangs out. Now follow me. Go back to 1 Corinthians. You turn a little bit this way. I can hear some of your Bibles. It just makes a noise. It's been so long. I can hear it cracking. Come on. 1 Corinthians 3. Are you there? And you're going to follow. Watch this. Uh, Verse 10. Paul said, God had called him and the apostles to be master builders. And they built on the foundation of Christ. And when they were building, they didn't build with cheap material. They built with gold, silver, and precious stones. If you build with cheap stuff, he said, I'm going to burn it up. God's house isn't to be cheap. Don't build with cheap stuff when you're doing it for God. And Paul said, we didn't use wood, hay, and stubble. We, as the leaders of God's church, we gave you the gospel. We gave you a crucified Christ. We told you the truth. Then he goes on, the day will disclose every man's work. But then he comes down to verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, now, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to be a member of the Corinthian church. Good place to get sued? Good place to lose your wife? A good place to be in a church fight all the time. They were fussing about something all the time. And Second Corinthians is brutal. No preacher wants to read Second Corinthians very often. Because it tells you how they spit Paul out and say we can't stand you. And every pastor reads Second Corinthians when his heart's broken. And the people he loves say we can't stand you. Because that's what they did to Paul. Do you not know, Corinth? Don't you know that you are God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you? The you here, we need to read this in the Texas version. It's you all. Because it's a you plural. Don't you all, you all, talking to the Corinthian believers, you all, don't you know, That you're a temple of God. He's talking to a local church. A church full of problems. A church with all kinds of immaturity. But truly a church. There were born again people with all kinds of... Brought the old life. They were still sleeping around. They were suing each other. It it was a confused place. I don't know if you want to bring your neighbor or your parents to it. But nevertheless, Paul says... God sent me to the city, and I evangelized you, and I saw you come to Christ. I saw you walk out of your darkness. I saw you come to forgiveness. And now the Spirit of God indwells the Corinthian local church. He he dwells in that place. And he says, by the way, if anyone destroys God's temple, that local church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Could it be any clearer?
1: And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today. The ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support.